Good morning, everyone. See, Jabari, y'all got to pray for that brother. I told him when he sing that song, he's supposed to run around, run all around. <laughs> Show him how it looks, brother. Let's thank our worship team. Um, we have a fantastic worship team. I really appreciate uh, Tim Bala's communion message. Um, wow, it really, yeah, you know, sometimes you read those, those passages, but when you hear someone else explain it, uh, sometimes it just carries a different uh, feel, you know, I mean, being stuck in a place for, you know, several decades, that's, that's pretty disheartening. And um, yeah, I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Just, you know, knowing that God can help us get unstuck. And so I pray to hopefully help us get unstuck uh, from use, for not using our gifts for God. I know some of us are wondering how and where and what can I do. And so today I have a very, very encouraging message for you. I want to talk to you about the rewards of serving God according to your design. I, I think we need to understand that there's a lot of good that comes with serving God according to the way he designed us. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer. Uh, Father God, we come before you just thanking you again for a beautiful day and a great start to our worship service. Uh, Father, we do pray that uh, you continue to help our sister, Miss Edna, uh, get stronger and so great to hear her, uh, her back on her feet and just... Um, to have her here in our fellowship, God, and we'll get to hear from her just a little later today. And uh, just a powerful testimony of, of how, how you answer prayer. And we're so grateful, God. We're so grateful that she's here. And we do pray that you continue to answer our prayers on behalf of our brothers and sisters and their family and friends. And I pray for this message, God, to really be uplifting and encouraging and that you will really reveal to us how we can use our unique design for your glory. Help us to know what our niche are, what's our niche uh, in this world, and, and how can we leave uh, an impact for you? Uh, Father, I pray that my words will be yours and that we'll leave here encouraged, inspired, challenged, but uh, grateful uh, that you called us out of this darkness uh, and into your wonderful light. We love and thank you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we're actually wrapping up a series uh, we started about a month ago uh, called Design, how, Finding How to Serve God According uh, to Your Unique Design. And the purpose of this series has really been to inspire you to worship God with your talents, with your unique set of gifts according to how you were designed. Uh, you know, everything that God has put in us, he's put in us for a reason. And it's not for our individual benefit it's for the benefit of others. And you have a very important role in that. And that's what God's message is for you today. So today we're going to look at the benefits of understanding and serving according to your design. So, the rewards. You're very happy when you're doing the thing that you're passionate about. And when you realize that you're doing it for the greater good. You're doing it to 
uh, to leave an impact, to have a, a significant uh, impact left on this world, and most people want that. Most of us, we want to make sure, we, leave, we want to leave something behind. We want to leave something positive behind. We want to leave something that others can build on. And God has set all of us up for that very thing, that we can leave behind something for others to build on, something for others to be inspired to use their gifts and their talents uh, to serve uh, others and to help glorify God. So the first thing I want to talk about today is the benefit, you know, serving according to your design actually reduces stress. It actually reduces stress. In Proverbs 14, verse 30, it says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. It's extremely stressful to be envious of others. When you're jealous of how others look, how fit they appear to be, their level of popularity or what they possess, it literally begins to rot you from within. When you're stressed, when you go to bed at night, you know, you, you can't really sleep. So. You don't get sleep, you're always tired, and you get cranky, you get irritable, and, and then you wonder, why can't I sleep? It's because there's some envy in your heart, probably. When you're stressed, and when we work, you go to work, you find that person that you're competing against, and then you envy, then you get stressed out, because it's like, oh, there she is again. There he is again. And then you, we're comparing ourselves to that person. Instead of being peaceful, we're, we're, we're stressed out. You know, then you, you become stressed when you're around the person you envy, and then you start to say things that you didn't really mean to say, and it starts to expose your heart. You really wanted to keep it in, but then you spoke out loud, and, you know, and, and it's all because the people that were around were envious, and our insecurities come out, and we say things that really doesn't make any sense. And so when we envy others... It really does stress you out. Like, you really can't be you because you're comparing yourself to someone else. And what you got to realize is that only you can be you. You know, there are people who are great at impersonating others. They even sound like people they're imitating. But only you can be you. People can impersonate you. They can mock you. They can imitate you, but they cannot be you. And guess what? You cannot be anyone else. You have to be okay with being you. When you understand that your own unique design, when you understand that you don't have to be better than the next guy, that life is not a competition, it reduces your stress. You just have to be the best you as you're trying to be like Jesus. You know, some of us, we beat ourselves up because we're not like other people. You know, we talked about this a bit, uh, about a week or so ago, how ex extroverts are lifted up, and extroverts are viewed as outcasts. Introverts are viewed as, you don't want to be like that, because extroverts are happy people. They're outgoing there, and we lift one up over the other. So then what about all those introverts in the world? 
The message we receive is, you're not happy unless you're like an extrovert. But God made me an introvert. So then what am I supposed to do with that? Go to God and say, hey, you know what? You made a mistake. I'm supposed to be an extrovert, so can you make me an extrovert? That doesn't make any sense. That's like a Ford Explorer going to the manufacturer and saying, hold on, wait a second. I was supposed to be a Porsche. Uh, I need you to take me back and fix everything else. No. God is not going to do that. You are who you are for a reason. And the sooner you embrace that, the happier you'll become. See, this brings an enormous amount of peace to our soul and to our hearts. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. You know what makes a masterpiece a masterpiece? The piece of work, whatever is done, is lauded as only done to the best possible extent. That it's such a high level of expertise that took to produce this. It's, it, it, it's, everyone agrees that this is the top of the top. This is, this is the, the highest of the highest. This is the best that it could possibly be of its kind. You are a masterpiece. That's what the scripture says. That means that God designed you to be the best you that you could possibly be. You are one of a kind. There will never be another you. And we need to embrace that. Instead of envying someone else's design, you should celebrate how God has designed you. Because here's the problem with envying people. You'll never just envy one. There's someone at your job you envy, they move on, or they get that promotion you were hoping to get. Then the next person comes in with something that you want that you don't have, and then it starts all over again. And then it never ends. And before you realize it, you're trying to be like so many people that you lose your very self in the process and forget exactly who you are. And then people ask you, well, what, what makes you happy? You know what? I don't know because I was so focused on what made this person happy that I don't even think about what made me happy. Well, what did you like to do? Uh, you know what? That's a great question. I used to know what I like to do, but because I'm trying to be like this one and that one, I forgot what makes me happy. That's a stressful way to live. You will never be content if you're always competing with the next person. God does not make anything without value. He is the ultimate craftsman. Now, people at school may have told you that you're useless, you're unattractive, you're weak. Your parents may even call you clumsy, stupid, irritating. But to God, you are a masterpiece. You are his magnum opus. You are his masterpiece. When God looks at you, I think he pats himself on the back like, good job. God doesn't look at you the way the world looks at you. Psalm 139, you are God's masterpiece. Take a picture of that. 
Sometimes you need to take those, you know, we take selfies because we, we, we feel good about it. We looking, you might be looking particularly good that day. And you want to keep that moment stored for eternity, right? Get a new hairdo, new something, you take that selfie, you're looking good, you're feeling good, you pull it out every now and again to remind yourself that you can actually be happy. We need to take a picture of a scripture. And every time you feel like you're not worthy, you take that out and you look at it like you're taking a selfie or something and remind yourself that, you know what, I'm a masterpiece. What am I talking about? Take a selfie of what really matters, right? It's Psalm 139. Listen to what the Bible says. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. In the New Century Version, I praise you because you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. The message translation, I am marvelously made. In Espanol, te hablo porque soy una creación admirables. Tus obras son maravillosas. Y that day. He's an author, personal change specialist, studied at Harvard, received medical degrees from University of California, studied philosophy at Cambridge. He looked at the odds of your parents meeting, given how many men and women there are on earth, and how many people of the opposite sex your mother and father would have met in their first 25 years of life. Then he looked at the chances of them talking of meeting again, of forming a long-term relationship, of having kids together, and, on, and of the right egg and sperm, right sperm combining to make you. He goes further back to look at the probability of all of your ancestors successfully mating and of all the right sperm meeting all the right eggs to make each one of those ancestors. And here's his conclusion. The odds that you exist at all are basically zero. He illustrates it this way. It's the probability of two million people getting together, each to play a game of dice with a trillion side dice. They, roll, they each roll the dice, and they all come up with the exact same number. For example, 550,343,279,001. In other words, a miracle is an event so 
so unlikely as to be almost impossible. And by that definition I just showed you, you are a miracle. He wrote then said, now go forth and feel and act like the miracle you are. Do you understand that you are a walking miracle? Sometimes we're, we're walking up, God show me a miracle. I need a miracle. God is like, what are you talking about? You are a miracle. Take that phone out. Take that selfie. Put a title on it. I am a miracle. I am a one in 400 trillion miracle. God chose you. He chose you to survive. He chose you to make a difference. You may not feel like it, but this is profound right here. You are special. So when you're stressed out, you need to stop and think, you know what, what am I worried about? Why am I so caught up trying to be like everybody else? Why is that so important to me? And the fact that God made me a masterpiece is not as important as me being like another masterpiece. See, if God who's designed us to be unique like no other human past, present, or future. And when we try to compare ourselves to other people, it not only creates an unhealthy competitiveness, but it can really stress us out. My house is not as clean as his. My car is not as big as hers. My job doesn't pay me as much as his. You will stress yourself out. My hair is not as long as his. I stopped that a long time ago. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I, I'm just going to accept the fact that I'm like, I, I will never have cornrows. I don't get stressed out about that because I accept me and my boldness for who I am. We need to stop comparing ourselves to other people. Stop trying to do what you're not gifted to do. Live according to the gift that God gave you. Stop envying other people's gifts. Well, I want to preach like you. That's not your gift. You got another gift. Don't envy the gift that someone has just because it's up front. God has given every single one of us a gift, and he expects us to use it. Build on your strengths. Recognize your limitations. There are people still chasing dreams that they'll never catch because someone put in their head, chase your dreams. Go after your dreams. Well, what if your dreams are not aligned with your passion? What if your dreams are not what you're designed to achieve? You will stress yourself out. Because we're buying into what the world is saying we're supposed to do rather than what God has already put in you to do. Second point, you're one of a kind. You guys got that, right? It increases success. Serving according to your design increases your chance of success. Now, I know right, right away some of us are thinking, well, I'm going to get rich. It's another lie by the world. In Luke 12, verse 16, Jesus tells a parable. It says, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. 
he thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you prepared for yourself. This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. You know, Jesus was the master at communicating things most important in life in a very simple way. Here he describes the life of a rich man. The thing is, this, this guy, it wasn't like the guy was saving up to be rich. He was already rich. He was already rich. Now, worldly people may look at this and think, wow, this guy's super successful. I mean, he produced so much, he had to build bigger barns. The point is, he was already rich. And instead of thinking about all the people around him, who I'm pretty sure could have also benefited from that good crop he produced, he decided to store up more for himself. He thought he was being smart. He thought he was being wise. He thought he was being savvy. God said, you're a fool. You're, you're being foolish. So in God's eyes, he was a total failure. He totally failed. He never understood God's purpose for his design. God did not design us to accumulate everything we want. You know, I know as parents, we want our kids to have everything, especially if you grew up with nothing. But you got to stop and ask yourself, is God like that? Is God that kind of father that he'll give me everything I want? It's not who God is. God doesn't give you everything you want when you want it and how you want it. And that's good because we're not designed to have everything we want. So God has created us to be able to help each other. And not using our talents and gifts to be rich towards God is going against how God designed us. You know, at any expected time, unexpected time, we're storing up for ourselves, we're hoarding up for ourselves. God can take it and wipe it all away. Because we're focused on us and not really helping those around us. If you're already rich, why are you storing up more? You don't need it. But there are people who do. We can't let the world tell us what success is. See, in the world's eyes, success is you accumulate everything you can while you still can. There are people right now who are so wealthy that they have enough money for generations they'll never get to meet. Their grandkids will be able to spend that money. I mean, isn't it mind-blowing to you that billionaires don't stop at a billion? They want two, and then when they get two, they want four, and then when they get four, they want ten? 
Why didn't they just stop at a billion? They'll never get to spend that money. But they want to build bigger barns for themselves. Because the wells tell us that's success. So if you're never rich, then you're all failures. How does that feel? Knowing that if you don't have a lot of money, if you don't have a fancy car, if you don't own the place you live in, you're a failure. That's not a message God is communicating here. And that's not the message we need to be telling ourselves. So then, James, what is success, bro? Because I was on my way to making a million dollars. I can tell you what is not. Success is not making a lot of money. I know a lot of people who have a lot of money and are not successful. I had a friend who played for the NFL, making a lot of money, but he was miserable. The only time he was happy, and these are his words, is when he was around the church. When he was around you guys. You broke guys. <laughs> he would show up. A lot of people didn't know he had money. I knew he had money. He was very generous, very giving. That's when he was his happiest. When he was around people who loved him for who he was and not for what he had. I have a good friend right now I grew up with. Makes very good money. Business owner, telling me his woes. He's happiest when he's giving back. A couple years ago, he gave me a block of tickets to take the teens to, to a basketball game. The dad's in the team to a basketball game out in Brooklyn. I said, dude, I need some Knicks tickets, but, you know, I, I, I can't look a gift horse in the mouth. I'll take it. He wrote a pretty sizable contribution check to the church. He feels good to doing that because God blessed him with certain gifts and business. And he's giving back. Pray for him. I'm praying to get him to really give his life to God. But the point is, there are people who have money, but they're not successful because they're miserable. So then that can't be success because our mind, success is supposed to make you happy, right? It's not the case. There are broke people happier than some billionaires. Your life is better off with what you have than some people who have everything. There's some people who have everything. You know, our lives were not designed to accumulate all that we can. Success is knowing God's will and living that will in your life. Success is being what God designed you to be. It's figuring out who you are and being that person. It's finding your niche. It's saying, that's me. It's feeling alive doing what you were made to do. To each of us, certain talents have been given according to our design, according to our faith, according to our strength. And here's the thing. We may get away not using our talents on earth, but one day God will hold us accountable for not using our talents, or as the parable said, burying our talents. You may feel like, well, I wanted to use it, but they didn't give me a chance to use it. God's not going to take that as an excuse, 
Because there's so many ways you can use your talents, your God-given gifts, to serve and help others. Burying your talent is not going to be accepted as an excuse. Let me tell you what true success in life is. The song we just sung earlier. I want to hear him say, well done. Good and faithful servant. That's success. Is hearing God utter those words before us. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Thirdly, serving according to our design deepens satisfaction. It deepens our satisfaction. Let me ask you a question. What would you compare your relationship with God to? Like, is there anything in life that you would say, man, I would probably walk away from God for that? You know, there are some things that people would actually take and say, you know what, I might walk away if I got that. There was a survey done not too long ago asking Christians... What, how much would it take for them to walk away from God? Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, they probably said billions. Or, or the que one question was, how much would it take for you to stop going to church for a year? Guess how much you think the number one amount was? You shout out a number. 50,000? A million? 100 million? $100,000? Lord of mercy, $100. You must really be down on your luck. You walk away from Jesus for $100. People surveyed said that they would stop going to church for a year for $10,000. The next was reading your Bible for a year. That when people had some said they said a million dollars. The question is, what's your price? Satan is willing to pay whatever price you put up if it means separating you from God and doing his will. For some people, oh, it just, all I, just let me find the love of my life. That's all I need. Even if it means you're not coming to church, even if it means that you're not reading your, I just want to be happy. Everybody has a price, unfortunately. Satan, when he attempted Jesus, he went to Jesus what he went to everybody else with. Power, self-satisfaction. And loyalty. He went to Jesus with all the same things that he tempts us with every single day. And here's the thing. When God, when you're using and you're connected to your design, 
you don't have a price. Because God is everything and everything to you. In Psalm 119.72, listen to what the psalm writer writes. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Your hands made me, informed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me. For I have put my hope in your word. His heart is incredible. He considers God's word more precious to him than anything else. Obeying God's word, the joy of knowing that he's living to, living to how God designed him, knowing that he's obeying God's word, that alone was more precious to him than anything. Than anything. And then he goes on, he says, May those who fear you, when they see me, rejoice. May my example make others rejoice. You know, when people see that you won't give up anything, that you, you won't give up God for anything, that calls them higher. People who fear God, though. People who don't fear God, they don't care. But when other people who want to please God see an example like this, it inspires them. It encourages them to do the same thing. And so your example sets a precedence for those who come after you. When you set the example that I will not budge in my relationship with God. There is nothing. I have no price. Then you know what? The next person is like, man, amen, I had a price, but you know what? Now I don't because I see that he will stand firm. I see that she will stand firm. So you know what? I'm going to stand firm. And what that does is it deepens our satisfaction because God is truly the only one who can meet all your needs. And the very thing that people are willing to give God up for will never satisfy them. There is not a relationship on earth that will truly, absolutely complete you. We often say it at weddings. I'm guilty. We say things, oh, you complete me. You're, you're my other half. You... My world is it's now is complete. I don't want to take away your feeling. I don't want to take away what you said on your wedding day. But here's the thing. There is an eternity-sized hole in our lives that only God can fill, that only God can satisfy. Yes, you may have a companion, that you're happy with, that makes your life feel like you're complete. But you can be with someone and still be in dissatisfied. This is an individual thing. If God is not satisfying you, you're not going to be satisfied with anybody else. Your wife is not going to be enough. She's not going to be beautiful enough. Your husband is not going to be handsome enough. He's not going to be strong enough. He's not going to provide enough. He's not going to work hard enough. He's not going to make you laugh enough. He's not going to send you enough cars. He's not going to write you enough poems because you're dissatisfied with God. 
that wife who was radiant the day of your wedding, who you would follow everywhere, do anything for, will not satisfy you if you're not satisfied with God first. And that's because God designed you. God put something in you that only he could meet. Only that he can meet. And that's why this man, he got it. Said, God, you are the one that satisfies me. And you know what happens when you're satisfied with God? Everything else God puts in your life is good enough. You don't need to go out and find another wife because you are grateful to God that he put this person in your life to meet your needs while you're here on earth. You're grateful for that man and all his, his, his bumps and bruises and, and, and all his imperfections. Why? Because you're satisfied with God. And so you, every time you look at him, you're grateful that God has put someone in your life. And if you don't, then you're grateful for the friends that God has put in your life because you're satisfied with God. You allow him to meet the most important need in your life. And so all the other relationships can satisfy you because God has already filled up your appetite. When you understand this and you enjoy what God has made you to be, you can write your own song. You can write your own, you know, your own song about being satisfied. You know, there's a song written by Mick Jagger. I can't get no satisfaction. Miserable. He had to write a song about it. I can't get no satisfaction. No matter what I... He said, I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. Y'all know the song? The man was sad. He was miserable. He couldn't get no satisfaction. But that's not... With the songs wrote Psalm 119, he said, I'm satisfied with the Lord. You know, Americans, over 45% of workers say that they are either dissatisfied, they're either satisfied or extremely satisfied with their jobs. 45%. Only 20% feel very passionate about their jobs. For those who enjoy their work, their work they say that meaningfulness was the biggest contributor to overall job satisfaction and happiness. Meaningfulness. That they're finding some meaning in what they do. What does that mean? What is that saying? I think several reasons is, you know, one of them is that you don't understand your design unless you're, you're, you're connected to God. Once you realize that, man, this, I'm doing what God has made me to do, then you can find satisfaction in whatever you do because you know what you bring to the table. You know what you can bring. You know what you offer. You know, you know what, even though I'm not getting paid to do it, I, I can bring this to the table. It may not be on your job description, but you know what you bring to the table. If you want a deeper sense of purpose, peace, and joy... We need to continue to strive to figure out what our talents are and how we can use them for God. And then lastly, serving according to your design builds self-esteem. Builds self-esteem. 
Yeah, there's nothing wrong with taking selfies. Especially if you have a, a pretty decent self-esteem of yourself. Some people don't. Some people don't even like to look in the mirror because of their low self-esteem. People don't like, some people feel uncomfortable with compliments because of their low self-esteem. And, and I think it's a deeper issue there. I think people are just dissatisfied with who they are on a, ver on a very deep, deep level. And God, I think that breaks God's heart because when God looks at you, he doesn't see what you see. He sees something amazing. And he scratches his head thinking, Why do, what, what, what do I have to do to get you to see what I see? I know what I'll do. I'll send my son to die for you. I can't, he can't send a more powerful message than to send Jesus to die for you. Jesus is not going to die for junk. Jesus is not going to die for garbage. But he'll die for you. Because you're precious. Because you're precious. In Psalm 139, verses 1 through 16, listen to what the psalm says. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you knew it completely. You hemmed me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw, saw my unformed body. All the days adorned for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I love this scripture. This is an amazing passage. It's showing us David's incredible relationship with God. An amazing dependence on his creator. You know, David fully understand that his life existed in God and for God. He understood that he had been woven together, knitted together for an awesome purpose. And that God alone had designed him just for what that unique and special purpose would be. There would be no slaying of Goliath if God had not designed David to do it. A whole nation cowered before this man. The reason we talk about it today is because David did what God designed him to do. 
There are giants out there for us to slay. We all have our, our feats to be conquered that only will be done if you do it. Because God designed you to be able to do it. You know, there's an epidemic of, slow, of, of low self-esteem in our society. Most people just don't like themselves. And our society is taking it to the next level. People are soon, will soon have the ability to design the perfect child. They'll be able to give them the eye color they want, the type of hair they want, whether they'll be intelligent, athletic, skin color. They are designing trying to design perfection because they're unhappy with who they are. You know, I thank God that I'm born, I was born in the time and era that I was born in. That with my big old head, my mom still loved me for who I had, big head and all. She didn't send me back to say, you know what, no, can you change this? Can you alter that? Can you give him this? Can you take away that? That she'll only love me if I'm perfect. They don't realize that they're removing the very essence of love out of the world. The reason parents are parents is because they will love whoever God gives them. We got to show the world something different. We have to show the world that, you know what? You are awesome the way God made you. You don't need to change a thing. If you want to get a haircut, you go get a haircut. If you want to get your hair did, you go get your hair did. But don't change who you are because you're special for a reason. You know, one reason studies have shown more than 50% of all people are not doing what they're passionate about. Half of the world's workforce feel miserable about their jobs because they're doing what they have to do and not exactly what they feel they're designed to do. Imagine if everyone did what they were designed to do. Imagine if you did what you were designed to do. How much happier would you be? How much happier would you be to come to church knowing exactly your role your contribution to the church, your contribution to helping to grow the church, the health of the church, the, the forward progression of the church, how much happier would you be to be able to stand back and look and say, man, I helped that happen because I used my God-given gift to contribute to the health and growth of the Harlem church. I want to challenge you to think about that. I want to challenge you to pray about that and ask God to make it clear, what will your contribution be? What will your contribution be? See, the truth about it is you do matter to God, and you were designed for a specific purpose. And so I want to encourage you to pray about this. I want to encourage you, my prayer is that one day you'll say, I can contribute my uniqueness to this world for the glory of God. Because I am a masterpiece, 
and I was designed for a purpose, and I will not rest until I live out that purpose to God's glory. I love you guys. Thank you for your time and attention. To God be the glory.